I guess my goal was to become a chef one day or to own a restaurant one day. And I guess if you just put your head down, stop complaining about your job. You can, I guess you have to love what you do. That's what everybody says, but it's true. And if you like what you do and you don't mind working long hours and being sweaty, smell like food every single night, it's easy. I just kept on doing it until, you know, it went by really fast. Welcome to Theoretically Speaking, hosted by Victoria Herrera and Brent Javier. From the Philippines to the world, this is an interview series with creative entrepreneurs, tastemakers, and change agents. We dissect the journey they took from dream to reality, exchanging stories from the past, motivations in the present, to ideas for the future. Hey guys, welcome back to Theoretically Speaking with me, Victoria Herrera, and Brent Javier. Our special guest for today adds up to our stellar cast for season one. We love learning from him and we love seeing him around. And I've had the pleasure of knowing him back in Hong Kong when he first opened up his restaurant and seeing how he brought that brand all the way here to Manila. And to formally introduce our guest, he is the owner and executive chef of Chino Manila, the hippest fusion restaurant of BGC discovered his passion for cooking at 20 years old and has since accelerated into the culinary industry. His distinct mix of Japanese-Mexican cuisine is the culmination of his experience from his childhood in LA to his decade-long tenure in the prestigious Nobu 57 franchise. Today, his Chino restaurants are thriving both in Hong Kong and Manila, hailed for its unique ambiance and mouth-watering servings. Friends, without further ado, Chef Eric Idos. Hi, guys. Hey. Hey, what's up, Eric? What's up? Nice to meet you for the first time, actually. So I haven't met Eric, but um, pleasure to have you here on Theoretically Speaking and looking forward to getting to know about your journey. So let's start from the very beginning. What got you interested in the food industry and what made you decide to pursue a career as a chef? Interesting. All right. So my story is I'm from L.A., born and raised. You know, I went to school in L.A. I, you know, I went. I finished high school in the Valley, and then I never went to college. You know, I never applied for any universities and any of that. So I did two years in community college in the Valley. And then in those two years, I became a really good snowboarder. I really wanted to become a pro snowboarder from the age of 17 till 20. I was like, I would pretend to go to community college. But I would really go to Mountain High or Big Bear or Mammoth and go snowboarding for two years. And that's where I thought I was going to be. I was like, I'm going to become a snowboarder. And I was like, it's not going to happen. There's no, there's no pro Filipino snowboarders out there. And then I decided, all right, I think I was yeah, 20. And I was like, I really have to do something. And then I was looking, I was like online. All of a sudden, and I saw, I think I was like on the Food Network. I was watching Emerald, I think, or Martin Yan, or Yan Can Cook. And then I was like, oh, I'm going to try to apply for culinary school. You know, I searched online, and I was like, oh, San Francisco. I like San Francisco. So I applied for the California Culinary Academy in San Francisco in 2000. I applied, and then I got in. And then I was like, all right, I guess I'm going to go to the culinary school all of a sudden. I guess that's like where the journey began because ever since I was 20 until now, 
I never stopped. So I lived in San Francisco. I graduated in 2000. I worked at a couple of good restaurants, a couple of like uh, Michelin star restaurants. And then I started, you know, I was like, I went to visit one of our friends in New York. You probably know him. You know Jay Suarez. Big yeah. Coach. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I decided to visit him on a, you know, he went to school in Columbia. So we, I decided to visit him. And then I fell in love with New York and then decided, all right, leave SF, move to New York with no job. I lied to my parents that I, was, I found a job in New York because, you know, Filipino parents, they want you to have a job first before you move somewhere else. So I did the complete opposite. I lied to them saying that I had a job. Luckily, I had an uncle who lived in Queens. So my dad called my uncle and said, hey, Eric uh, is going to move to New York. Do you mind li- you know, him staying in your in extra room? Like, yeah, sure. You know, packed my bags, moved to New York City with no job. Just, And then I got there. I was like, okay, well, here I am in New York. What am I supposed to do? So I cooking, go, you go work at stages, like interns for a day for free. So, well, you know, I tried all these restaurants all these good restaurants and then uh i started to work at nobu and that started my long journey began i guess was nobu because i worked for nobu for 10 years so moved to new york in 2004 until 2007 or 2008 i think and then worked for nobu there new york for four years i wasn't ready to leave new york because i love new york so much i was like i'm not ready to leave but they gave me opportunity to open become a sous chef in Nobu in San Diego in California and then I decided all right you know was it stay in New York City because I loved it so much I like the atmosphere the crowd the energy of the city and move back home I guess I moved to San Diego because the opportunity was there to become you know to move myself up in the cooking in the cooking path career and then I became this, you know, I moved to San Diego in 2008, 2007 to 2008. And then I was a sous chef there. And then, you know, that's where I met Tracy, my girlfriend. Yeah. You know, she was a pastry chef there. And that's where I met her. And then, you know, San Diego was cool. You know, it was like very, moving from New York to San Diego was a complete change from moving to a, a city. And then moving to a beach town, it was like, everybody was way too chill. You know, everyone wearing shirt, shorts, sandals, t-shirts, everybody talking like a bra over there. I was like, it was cool. You know, I was ready. I was like, okay, I guess I'm ready for this. And then the opportunity came that, you know, I was like, you know, one of my dreams was to live in a different country because I traveled before all this, I traveled to Asia and then I really wanted to work in a different country. So, you know, I had an opportunity. Nobu called me when I was working in San Diego. He's all have a job opportunity for you in Hong Kong if you want to become the chef over there. And then I was like, yes, let's do it. So basically, it happened really fast. It was like March, I could remember, March 2010, I got the call. I flew to Hong Kong in two weeks to do a tasting for the hotel or for Nobu over there because inside a hotel. I did a tasting and then they offered me a job and they're like, okay, you're moving here in May. So basically 
I had like a month to pack, you know, Tracy and I, I, mean, I asked Tracy to, she wanted to move to Hong Kong. She said, yes. So basically it was basically packing up our bags a couple of weeks and then moving to Hong Kong in May, 2010. And then that's, I've been living in Asia for the past 10 years of my life. And then, and then I worked for Nobu for, in Hong Kong for four years. And then in 2014, in 2014, that's when I was like, I was working for Nobu for 10 years already. And I was like, okay, should I decide you know, to open my own restaurant or decide to change, you know, take, take the leap and again, try to open my own restaurant. You know, and then you know, I was living in Hong Kong for four years. I knew the right people, I guess. I started to have a, you know, a good following and had good friends who opened restaurants like you know, Matt from Yardbird. I had good friends already there, had a good connection. And they're like, just do it. Just, you know, you know, you, you know the right people, you know people who have money. And then I quit Nobu. And that's when I opened Chino. I opened Chino December, December 24th. Christmas Eve 2014. And then now, as of now, uh, Chino's still open. It's going on six years in Hong Kong. And then the one in Manila, is, I opened it in 2018. So 20 years of working and cooking and having no days off. If I could ask what clicked with you with culinary as opposed to, you know, ending up pursue your snowboarding dreams or other dreams? I, I don't know. It's, you know, snowboarding dreams was... After like two years, I was like, "All right, this is not for me." I was, okay. I was too much of a, a pussy to take big jumps and freaking try to do seven twenties and try to ride half pipes. I know it was just, you know, just cool to hang out with friends. When I what started, passion was there for snowboarding. Was a passion. I think it was just like all our friends it was like hanging out with friends up in the mountain, and then you know you ride with them for like six hours a day. And you're like, all right, something about snowboarding. I still love doing it. I still love going right now to like a Seco, you know, at least once a year to get my snowboarding in, to get to get it out of me. But cooking, how I stuck with it was, it was very hands-on. I wasn't, I'm not very, I'm, I'm not book smart. Wasn't the smartest person in, in high school. I was like barely passed because I never liked reading books or studying. Culinary was more like hands-on. You know, you get to touch and feel and taste and it was something about that i guess i i liked because it was more you know touching and feeling the food and you know using your hands instead of trying to remember something from a book and trying to study from that it was more hands-on that's why i liked about it i don't know well, to ask I mean, it i'm just like that's such because i've known Eric for six years, but I've never asked that question. So for me, I'm like, I should have asked this six years ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, so you know, I started cooking when cooking wasn't cool. That's what I tell everybody. You know, I did, you know, now everybody wants to become a chef because everybody thinks they can become a chef all of a sudden. It's master just, chef, got yeah, glamorized. You know, you yeah, know. Exactly. Top chef, all these shows got glamorized at all. Back then, it was barely any asians cooking it was mostly mexicans cooking inside kitchens in san francisco i was basically the only only asian guy that's why i called my restaurant chino because 
every Mexican and you know, and every restaurant I worked at was like, oh, who's the chino inside the restaurant? That was me. Only crazy Filipino guy decided to cook with all the Mexicans in San Francisco. And how was it like, for example, when you're studying the culinary arts, how did you find the type of cuisine that you love to cook, not have to cook? You have to go work at a lot of restaurants and decide what you like to do. Right? I worked at a lot of kitchens. You know, I worked at hotels that do very big scale, like banquets and like big scale dinners, like three hundred people parties. Yeah, it was fun to learn that. But it wasn't like the thing that I love to do. You know, it was good to learn, right? And you know, you're working at all these fine dining restaurants. That's where you learn your technique, and you learn at every restaurant. Every restaurant I worked at, I learned something what I liked or what I didn't like about it. You just have to keep work at different restaurants and see which one you actually really like. I guess that's why I chose Nobu because I always worked at like French French restaurants, and Nobu was my first like Japanese Japanese Peruvian. I don't like the word to use fusion restaurant, but that type of cuisine. I guess I, I liked it, so I stuck on to it because it was just different. And it wasn't really like it was more of like a hip type of scene, you know. Like Nobu was like all celebrities used to come at Nobu in New York. So I guess that type of culture of a type of restaurant is what I liked. And how did you get into Mexican cuisine? Being from LA, <laughs> got it. <laughs> got it. Enough got said. It. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I grew up in the valley, so. Yeah. Mostly, all my friends in high school were Mexican, so from San Fernando Valley. So I went to Alamany. So everybody, half my friends were Mexican. So like after school, we would go to taquerias, taco shops, get tacos. So that's the way everybody says, "How you get into Mexican?" I was like, "I was born in the Valley in LA, and I hung out with most of Mexicans in high school." So I guess that's how how I love Mexican food was. Basically, all throughout high school, that's what what I ate. What other kinds of cuisine do you appreciate? So you, you've done French a lot. Obviously, you've done Japanese. You said uh, Peruvian and Mexican. What other? Is there any other food what that I you like, prefer like, personally? Like what I like to cook, or like what I like to sure eat? both. How about both? Uh, I like to cook everything. I like to try other things. There's an art in everything. I guess Japanese is my favorite type of cuisine because it's so. There's a lot of you know you learn a lot. There's not just one thing about it. it's just not sushi in Japanese. You know, Japanese there's yakitori. There's izakaya restaurants, beef restaurants, you know, wagyu restaurants. So I guess Japanese food is just a wide variety of food that it could be eaten. And with working in so many restaurants, what do you feel is like the hardest thing about it? Just work off oh, uh, long hours. People think cooking is easy. It's basically on your feet for sixteen hours a day. You're in the restaurant in the morning, and you're you're the last ones to leave from the restaurant. Basically, the cooks. I guess that's why I liked about it. it was like the long hours. It kept me busy, and I didn't mind it. I didn't mind you know working from ten a.m. till one a.m. I guess I love that. I love that pressure. I love the, love the rush of cooking, you know, on the line. 
that's why I guess I stuck with it. It was, oh, I was always busy. I would had no time to think about what am I going to do or you know, is this the right career path that I'm taking? I just, I just put my head down, I shut up, and just, I just worked. That's awesome. Your answers have been really interesting for me because a lot of it was like you went with the flow. You decided to just sign up for culinary school, then you went to New York, then you went to San Diego, then you went to Hong Kong. But the way you talk about it is so like it just flowed for you. And then even how you talk about your approach to work is that it's also just like a flow for you. Because a lot of people, if they were to say they'd have to work from 10 a.m. to 1 a.m. standing, they'd be like, oh, hell no, right? But, But the way you handle everything, it seems like there's an ease to it. Were you always like that? or? I don't know. I guess cooking made me like that. It was discipline. I guess my goal was to become a chef one day. And I guess if you just put your head down, stop complaining about your job. You can, I guess you have to love what you do. That's what everybody says, but it's true. You know, if you like what you do and you don't mind working long hours and being sweaty, smell like food every single night, and you know, like grease and smell like fish, it's easy. I just kept on doing it until, you know, it went by really fast. Yeah. But the way you tell the story, I could also see, like, I guess the way you're telling it, I'm like, must have been fun, too. (laughs) Yeah, of course. You know, being a chef is not a glamorous career, you know, or becoming a cook is not a glamorous career. We would work till 1 a.m. or midnight and drink until, like, 5 a.m. and do it the next day. You know, it was just like a complete cycle of, like, I guess that's what, you know. That was fun about it was like you had your close-knit crew in the kitchen that you didn't mind being with them all day and drink with them all night. It was like a family bond that was like I liked about the kitchen. And how do you foster and make sure that family bond in the kitchen is strong with your team? You just have to hang out with them, get along with them, talk to them, yeah. you know, drink with them. You know, you have to find what they like to do and what they don't like to do. But most of them like to drink. Most cooks like to drink. <laughs> it just goes back to that. That's, that's what it is. It's, you know, or, you know, I usually take my cooks out, you know, right now. And in Hong Kong, you know, I usually take my cooks out to eat at night, late night food, hang out with them, have a bond with them. You just learn from your, all your older chefs that I worked with was you hang out with them after work. You get late night food, drink beers with them, and you just hang out with them all night. The- all night and you didn't mind you know you see them the next you know in four hours you're back in the kitchen together and you don't mind it with your experience so far how has your support system been like because you started like at 20 and you took like a unconventional job at the time like were your parents supportive or who was holding you up when i told my parents i was going to culinary school they're like what where are you going what are you doing they're like culinary school. My mom's like, "What's going?" Like, I want to become a cook, a chef. And they're like, they really had to think about it. Of course. But at, at the number end, one dad was for my mom was become a nurse. That's what everybody okay. mom says. Like my mom is a nurse, or my dad was an engineer. My dad's all, "Why well, you become an engineer? Follow my footsteps." It was hard because you know they're like, "You should go back to college and try to get a degree." And I was like, "Mom, Dad, I hate school." 
So they're like, you're going to waste your money on me if I ever go. To, if I get accepted to university, you probably waste my money because I probably wouldn't even know, know what to take if I went back to school. And then my brother was the biggest support because my brother was like, why don't you just let him do it? See what happens. Even though, you know, my brother is, he went to UCLA, he's a you know, he went to medical school, he's a doctor. But he was basically the biggest supporter of me because he was the one who forced my parents to just, you know, just let him do it. See if he actually likes it. Don't stop him. So he was the one who forced my parents to make me to move to San Francisco for school. And once I guess I became a chef, and that's when my parents were like, oh, Son, Aaron, so good. My son, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. But I guess my parents got used to it. I guess they were, they figured out that I loved what I did. And then I would just, they're like, are you sure you want to work these long hours? You work from, you work all day. I was like, yeah, I like it. Like, okay, are you sure? You go always go back to school, Eric? I was like, no, I'm not going to go back to school, mom or dad. Like, okay. So, and they, they, they supported me throughout the whole whole journey you know, of me from San Francisco to New York to San Diego to Hong Kong to Manila. They supported me throughout the whole journey of my career. You know? And then, you know, of course, Filipinos are proud that, you know, oh, my son has now two restaurants, blah, blah, blah. But they were my brother, my parents were basically my biggest you know, support growing, growing through the culinary journey of mine. And in your 20-year history, what has been, if you can tell us some crazy stories of who walked into one of your restaurants, what did they order, who did they bring with them, anything you're allowed to tell? Well, working for Nobu was like, in 50, Nobu 57 is where I saw the most celebrities. I would see, I saw Jay-Z, I saw Beyonce, I saw Gwen Stefani. I saw everybody. I saw everybody famous at Nobu 57. I went to Martha Stewart's uh, house in Connecticut to do a party. What? Yeah, I hung out. We would do like we would do private dinners for Martha Stewart at her at her studio in New York, and then she catered Nobu to do her house event in Connecticut. So we did that. A lot of baseball players there. Jeter was I saw him all the time. Yeah, you name it. I probably yeah. New York was. New York 57, when in 2014 till I worked there, was like the hot spot. Everybody mm -hmm. went there. I saw, yeah, I saw P. Diddy. I would see everybody from there inside that restaurant. Anyone you got starstruck with? Oh, no, not really. Uh, because I used to work, like there used to be this omakase window. And mm -hmm. it, it, you would see through it. There used to be a table, like a hibachi table where you cook your own stuff. And I used to work that station, and then all you know, all these famous people used to sit at that table because it's kind of private. So you know, yeah, I would see all these like, I guess Jay Z because he would just like peep his window, peep through the window, and say hi to us through the window. And like, who else did you see? You know, J Lo, Beyonce, I guess wasn't too famous yet. Pretty much everyone passed. Pretty board. much yeah. Yeah, pretty much everyone. Everybody went to Nobu 57 when, when it just opened. It was the hot spot in New York. And how was it like actually being in the space of Nobu? Like when you actually met him and learned or worked there, how was that experience? It was cool because it was like Nobu now, he has 
I don't know the complete number of restaurants, but as of right now, I think he has like 55 restaurants around the world. When I worked at Nobu back then, he only had me. It was probably like 15 copiers, seven, mm-hmm. 15 only. So it was nice to see him grow throughout the you know, throughout the journey and how he opened restaurants so freaking fast. Like there's always opportunity back then to to go to a different restaurant. But he was very cool, you know. I was just a cook, so he, he was very nice. He would just say hi to us. And then, you know, when I worked at Nobu in New York, he would just say hi and greet us and take pictures with us and tell us. But he was very hands-on. That's why I liked him also. He would taste his own food. He would drink sake with us and all that stuff. When I really got to know him was when I became the chef in Hong Kong because he really takes care of his chefs of his restaurants. So he was like hanging out, you know, drunken nights with Nobu, drinking tequila in Hong Kong. And then he would take us, you know, he would hang out with us for, he would stay in Hong Kong for at least three days. And one of those days, he would take us to nice dinners outside Hong Kong. Like all restaurants that he would want to try, he would take the chefs with him. So it was actually like, you know, to me, he was like a mentor. He's like a mentor to me because he's the longest chef I ever worked for. He taught me is how I try to pass on to my other chefs now or how I try to run my restaurant right now. Was like he always took care of his chefs no matter what. He always had his back, always had their back. So you know, it was really cool to see that when I became the chef at Hong Kong. Was like it was great because he would take us to expensive ass you know, dinner. <laughs> that I was like, oh man, and he would just be like, yeah, just order whatever, and we would have you know drink wine, and they always end up drinking his favorite tequila is 1942. So we'll always end up drinking 1942 in the end of the night having very drunk nights with Nobu in the end. Awesome. And when it came to traveling from city to city, how was your first adjustment into the Asian market? Like when you first got to Hong Kong? It was weird because Hong Kong was like, happened really fast. Month and a half span. I was like, pack my bags. And here I was 14 hours away from home, an Asian country that I had no idea about. Had you been there before? I went there before. I took like a, I did like a trip with all the friends to Asia. So we, we visited like China, Japan, Hong Kong. And I was like, oh, Hong Kong, I guess, you know. What caught me into Hong Kong was the view of Hong Kong from, from the harbor. And I was like, man, I would love to work here one day. And then when I finally got the job, I was like, holy shit can't believe I'm moving to Hong Kong. And then just adjusting to the whole thing was, at least I had friends, you know, I had a couple of friends living there already. So it's pretty easy you know, to adjust, I guess. Be, but it's also easy to adjust there because there's a lot of expats who live there. So yeah. I met the right friends. It's all about linking with the right people. Mm, yeah. you know, and then you just link up with the right people, right friends, and that's your crew for thing. And that's how I met Vicky because it's just through friends. So yeah, I remember meeting you in Rax, which is a bar in Hong Kong. And our mutual friend introduced us, Ken. And I met Ken when he was, well, he still works in Yardbird. But when I visited Yardbird, I met Ken. And then I ran into you guys. And then the first thing Ken said was like, you guys should meet. You're both Filipino. (laughs) (laughs) Do you remember that? And we're like, okay. (laughs) But you're really friendly. And Hong Kong was really friendly like that. And then you guys are really nice. And then, and that's it. And I didn't 
really know your background. I just knew you guys opened a restaurant. And I knew that my brother, John, was obsessed with Mexican food. So him and Rosario visited like the month after in January. And John's like, where should we go? And I said, oh, you like Mexican. You should check this out. And then I took him over to your restaurant with Rosario and Patty, um, my sister and John's wife. And that's how we all kind of started connecting. Fun memories. So about your restaurant, Chino, how was it when in 2014, when you opened those doors, when you were building the brand, thinking of the identity, like how was that whole process? Because that's your, you know, your restaurant. It was a dream, basically, right? So everything that I wanted to do and everything what I think I, I thought my restaurant would be, I put it into it. You know, it was hard to open your own restaurant in Hong Kong, but also easy if you knew the right people. And luckily, I knew the right people who helped me build that restaurant. Like, I had Matt from Yardbird, I had Lindsay from Yardbird. So I had a very good, had a good structure behind me to help me out to do these things. Everything about Chino was everything that I wanted in a restaurant. I didn't want, I didn't want a very fine dining. You know, I want a very casual type of restaurant that people come hang out, chill, can get drunk. I don't want it to be, you've been there and you've been the one here in Manila. It's very minimalistic. Yeah. You know? It's just, you know, I let the food speak for itself. Everything that I put into it is everything how I wanted my restaurant to be. Very industrial, plays hip hop music, music I like, I like to listen to. I do the food that I want to cook because it's the food that I like to eat. Tacos, Mexican, Japanese. A lot of people, you know, this is one of the key things about your restaurant. Everyone always asks, who puts those playlists together? (laughs) (laughs) Every single person I take to Chino is like, this is a good playlist. Like, who put this together? Where can I find it? So tell us that, Eric. Tell us the story behind that. Playlist is, I don't know. It's music that I like to listen to. I guess it's, you know, it's hip hop. It's old school hip hop. And sometimes I put some, you know, some new stuff in there just to change it up a little bit. But everything, you know, from a tribe, a tribe called Quest, you know, it's the music I grew up listening to. I guess I have good friends in the, you know, who are DJs, like Vice, like Eric. Yeah. And growing up with them, listening to what they like to, to play at clubs, easy to put a playlist if you, if you have a good genre of taste of music. Yeah, and if you're surrounded by people who love music, it just all goes into that. Exactly. It was good to have like friends who were DJs. And like one of the things I learned, and I I felt it more when I was living in Hong Kong, like a restaurant was a whole vibe, right? It was everything from the way they greet you at the door to, of course, the food, the music, the interiors. And your restaurant always had that vibe where you could just connect, feel comfortable, talk to people and that sort of thing. And that was like really a part of what I remember it as in Hong Kong. But how was that transition also bringing that vibe to Manila? Like, can you tell us that story? It also being different cultures. Living in Hong Kong, I got to visit Manila a lot because I'm Filipino. I I have a little bit of family still here. So Tracy and I used to visit every year. From 2010, or even coming back a long time ago when Fort wasn't really anything. We only had embassy, I guess, back in the day, right? So seeing it grow, you know, build what 
BGC is it right now was like, and you see all these restaurants starting to be built, you know, back then. And I was like, I don't, maybe one day I'll put a restaurant up here. And then 2017, when Hong Kong, yeah, I guess there's a lot of people, I was, a lot of people were very interested in opening Chino all over the world. You know, when I first opened in 2014, so many people wanted me to open it everywhere because from Singapore to China to everywhere. And I guess I wasn't ready to expand yet. I was very concentrated in the one in Hong Kong. I wasn't ready to expand the restaurant yet. And then two years later, I was like, okay, after this restaurant settled down and I found good chefs to run my own, my restaurant in Hong Kong, I gave opening Chino in a different country. So, I don't know. I don't know why I chose the Philippines. It was, I guess, I'm from here. I thought that the Philippines was ready for this. There was a lot of this. You know, I thought it was ready for, for this type of cuisine, for you know, this type of vibe of type of restaurants. When I opened this in 2018, it was a hit. It was, it didn't, you know, it's, it didn't take off how I wanted it to be. I guess culture-wise, I didn't study it very well. I don't know. I thought it would be ready for it, but it wasn't. But there is that small middle that it's maybe not percentage-wise, small middle that my crowd is for here in Manila. There's not a lot of that. Last time we spoke, and that was before quarantine, Uh you had some plans with Chino, right? Is that still going to happen or is it going to still be? Before quarantine, we were going to change the brand of it into to more what the Filipinos like, I guess. Mm-hmm. More, of a, more of a straight up Mexican restaurant. We, were, we closed and then we reopened because I guess of right now, it's not yeah. worth spending the money to, to rebrand and to remodel. Mm, yeah, so for sure. We decided just to reopen it, I guess, just for takeout. And then when they allowed dine-in, I guess we're like, okay, let's try it again. Mm-hmm. Until this virus, you know, until Corona goes away. But And how is it right now? Like, how are you guys surviving with COVID happening? How do you see the restaurant industries? The reason why I reopened it was I wanted to give my employees or my, you know, my staff jobs to yeah. make money at least to get, you know, some type of page, you know, I can't, you know, I can't hire everybody back. So at least I could pay some people at least, you know, instead of that's the reason why we, we reopened it was to give my cooks and some of my front of the house staff a job to, to take, take home some money to their families and to them. Instead of just them, you know, staying at home and doing nothing. That's the main reason I reopened it. Was like I was bored. Also, yeah. <laughs> I was like, after like two months, three months, stuck in a house. I was like, I need to do something. I can't run. I can't exercise all day long and watch Netflix all day. You know, being on your feet all day and being quarantined and sitting down for all day was the biggest change. Yeah. yeah decide just to reopen it. You know, takeout has been really well. Dine-in, we've been open for dine-in. You know, people are still very scared to go out. Everybody has to move on with their lives. If you guys are scared, then stay home. If you guys aren't scared, wear a mask. Just be safe out there. Do everything that you need to do to, 
to be safe, you know, sanitize, wear a mask. That's it. It's hard, you know, there's a lot of restaurants closing down because it's hard to get staff to work or transportation. I pick up my cooks every morning just to bring them to work. People who, who, who live close to me, I pick them up in the mornings, I take them to work and I drop them off at night. Did yeah. you pick up any uh, new skills during this time or like you said, like exercise, is there anything else you were, you were doing? I guess I picked, up, maybe. I, I picked up running, I guess, with no gyms and nothing open. The only thing to do was do outdoor exercise. What do you feel is the biggest lesson quarantine has taught you? Enjoy every second you get to hang out with your friends, with your family, anybody. All those times I said no to going out for dinners to hang out with friends. Now I'm probably going to change my mind. Because you never know what's going to happen, right? Like, I'm too busy to have dinner with you. But now, I guess, it's like traveling, getting to see other places, you know, try to have a life balance of work, hanging out, hanging out with friends, hanging out with your loved ones, hanging out with family. I guess that's the biggest one, right? Because you never know. You never know what's going to happen. Random question. So, obviously, you're, you're Filipino. What Filipino dishes do you like? What Filipino dishes I like? like huh. Or like to make? I hate to say this. I'm just so fucking typical Filipino. Like, oh, good. Adobo. Yeah. Adobo would be like the, uh-huh. number thing, like the number one thing I cook at home. Well, that's what, you know, what I cook at home is probably like sinigang, adobo. What I like to eat because I don't want to, you know, if I go out to eat, probably like kare kare. Dinaguan. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a real stuff. Yeah, that's, that's yeah. really yeah. Filipino. Yeah. I guess, you know, but yeah. What I like to cook at home is like, you know, basics. Stuff that I grew up eating. Adobo, sinigang. Yeah. Lumpia. I could find it out there to buy. Always, that's why I go buy. I oh. wish I cooked more Filipino food, but I don't. All right. So just to wrap up our interview, our very last question, what advice would you give to aspiring chefs and restaurateurs in this moment or those who are beginning their career? Don't be in a rush. Don't think you're going to become a chef the next day. Enjoy, enjoy the path. Enjoy the ride that it takes you. Don't think you're going to go to culinary school and you're going to become a chef the next day. Enjoy working at different restaurants. Becoming a chef, you could go all over the world and cook anywhere. That's the greatest thing about becoming a chef is, you know, you could open a restaurant anywhere, you become a cook anywhere. You know, I think kids these days are more worried about, they want to become master chef. They want to become a chef all of a sudden. Take your time and enjoy. Enjoy the ride. You know, enjoy every step. That's why I tell everybody. Don't become, don't be in a rush to become a, you know, executive chef. Become a cook. Become a line cook. Enjoy it. Enjoy working long hours. Enjoy everything about it. If you, if you really want to become a chef one day, because that's what it is, is working those long hours and grinding, I've learned was like, enjoy the ride. That's it. So thank you so much for sharing your lessons and your stories. And we can't wait to all head over to your restaurant. And yeah, you know, you know what I'm going to order, Eric. (laughs) 
I know you know it. You know, I ordered the same thing for six years. So <laughs> here. Yeah, the chicken tostada. Yeah, chicken uh, and egg. So here. Chicken and egg, yeah. Same thing. And I can't wait for our team to um go there and to experience the the Chino vibe. And I just want to say that when you talked about you reopening your restaurant again for your team, that was really inspiring. And I hope that whoever's listening to this, if you're a business owner and you're doing these types of things, it's, it's a great lesson to listen to also. So thank you again, Eric, for being on our show. Thanks, B. A very yeah. nice meeting you, everybody. Yeah. I want to say uh, it was nice to meet you again. Uh, hope we get to connect when I get back to Manila. Yeah, um, for sure. Wish you all the luck with with everything that's happening, and and thank you again for for the time and, and sharing all your stories and insights on on the business and enjoying the grind, enjoying the process, whatever you wanna wanna call it, and just keeping it very real. You know, you didn't fluff it up or make it look too glamorous. You just told it as it was, and I appreciate the honesty and. Thank you for thank you for everything. Thanks, guys. And that was it. Thank you so much. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Don't forget to share it with a friend. And while you're at it, follow us on Instagram at Next Theory, at Victoria underscore Herrera, and at Brent Javier.